Hey, Covenant Eyes family, welcome back to the Covenant Eyes podcast. We are so excited to have you joining us again for a great episode. Today's guest is going to be talking to us about a lot of really tough topics. So just be prepared. This is going to be a really good conversation, but it is going to be a tough one as well. I'm Karen Potter with Covenant Eyes. And of course, joining me is Brandon Clark. Hi, Brandon. Hey, Karen. For all of our ministry listeners out there, our guest today is actually a licensed clinical social worker. He's going to be talking to us specifically about finding healing amidst addiction and trauma. So it's a deep topic today, but certainly one that must be discussed. And we're very excited to have you. Dr. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, of course. Dr. Mark, one of the things that I really appreciate about your story and what I'd love to have you dive into as we begin is that with your clinical social work, with the book you wrote, it's coming from your personal experience. And that personal experience has launched you in wanting to help people who are struggling as well. Can you get into just a little bit of your own story and how that led you to where you are now? Sure, I'd be glad to. So it was approximately eight years ago that I uh, had called my psychiatrist and I asked her for refills. And she did the math quickly and figured out, it didn't take her long to figure out that I was abusing the medication. And in fact, I had been abusing the medication for quite a few years. So right away, she said to me, you know, you need to go to rehab, not something that I wanted to hear that day at all. But she said, you really need to go to rehab. You have a problem. So I um, waited for my wife to come home. I was really, really nervous, really anxious about it. And, you know, I said to her, guess where I'm going? She said, where? And I said, rehab. And I explained to her the conversation that I had with the psychiatrist. And so I made plans. And um, Debbie was really, my wife was really gracious, really loving, um, just really helped me to get the help and the healing that I needed. And so I then had to call my daughter. I got in touch with my daughter. She was in Florida. I had a great response from Emily. She was like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you going to get the help. So that meant that I needed to search for rehab. And so I called around and I had done this for patients many times, but of course I'd never done it for myself. And so, you know, I called around and I finally found a place in Pennsylvania. I live in New Jersey, so I found a place in Pennsylvania. And so I made the appointment, faxed all the paperwork over, sent them all the diagnoses, the mental health diagnoses, which were plenty. And then I was on my way. And I can remember in the car just feeling like I had wrecked my life. You know, I had disappointed my wife. I had disappointed my daughter. I had disappointed uh, friends and family. And most of all, I felt tremendously like I had disappointed God that my life was over. So we're on our ride, ride there. And we I didn't talk in the beginning. I was really quiet. And then Debbie started talking about things of the future. And I didn't see the future at all at that point. I just felt like my life was over. And so one of the verses that I really hold on to that I love that I talk about all the time is Romans 2, 4, because I was in a mess and it was the kindness of God that showed up. You know, Romans 2, 4, Paul writes, it is the kindness of God that leads to change or it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So I'm on my way to rehab and I show up there and I'm greeted by a counselor and they go through all my bags and I felt like such a loser. You know, they were looking for contraband or any drugs that I had maybe stowed away in my my luggage. And so after that, I was brought to a floor where I would spend uh, 30 days with uh, 30 other men. 
And so um, I was in a culture shock. And so one of the things that, that I talk about in the book, one of the most painful things about the process was as the medication was going out of my system, the memories of my childhood were coming back and they came back with a vengeance. And so not only was I feeling like a loser and feeling like a fool, but here I was sitting there and these memories just came back and bombarded me. You know, at the same time, counselors and uh, residents were encouraging me to tell my story. And I said, no way am I going to tell my story. I'm never going to tell my story. I'll go to my grave before I tell my story. And so some of the things that I talk about in the book was the fact that when I was about four years old, my dad had forced me to eat carrots, I got very frustrated. And then um, I ended up vomiting. He became irate and picked me up and threw me across the room into the garbage and said, stay there, you're a piece of garbage. And so it was stories like that. And I tell them in more detail in the book, I talk about the fact that I was sexually abused from about the age of four till about the age of seven. And then my family experienced armed robbery. And that's when the sexual abuse stopped. Um, my dad became very paranoid. My mom became an alcoholic. And chapters um, four, five, and six of the book talk about a lot of these things, a lot of the childhood things that, you know, honestly, I didn't have the words to talk about. I wasn't emotionally ready to talk about it, but I also didn't have the words to talk about it. And so after going to rehab and then signing up for intensive outpatient and also being in, in um, outpatient therapy individually, I did that for about two years and I didn't share much of my story at all. And then um, I had decided I took the plunge and signed up with Pure Desire Ministries in Oregon uh, and had a wonderful experience with Harry Flanagan, one of the counselors there. You know, and one of the things that he asked me to do is make an outline of all the traumas that I had experienced. And so that was not an easy task for me to sit and to, to type up a list of things that had happened to me. And that actually became chapters uh, four, five, and six of the book that I talk about a lot of the things in the detail. But, you know, the idea, I wanted to be really vulnerable in the book and I wanted to convey, you know, for people who have had trauma, a lot of times they don't have the words. You know, that part of the brain goes offline. And so I didn't have the words. And so I needed somebody to walk alongside me and to help me with those uh, skills that I had not developed in being able to share my story. Wow. That was, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for everything that you've been through. That's, that's really challenging. And I'm sure there's people who are listening who have also been through some very tough things, you know, especially at Covenant Eyes, we see a lot of the addiction and the betrayal trauma Absolutely. when we're working with couples and those who are struggling with pornography can you talk about how you work with those particular people um, and how your story has led you to have that empathetic heart for those who are struggling with things like that? Yeah, that's a great question, Brandon. I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It talks about God's kindness and how God comforts us in times of trouble so that we can comfort others. And I really see that being my ministry now where I have the opportunity to comfort others who find themselves a lot of times in a mess like, like I was in, you know, um, there's no easy answer with trauma. I, I don't want to give like a step one 
two, three. I guess what I would say is that my journey has taken me about eight years and I've done a lot of intensive work. I, I have um, really uh, immersed myself in counseling and really learned my story. And so that has helped me to be able to tolerate a lot of times what people, you know, I'd want the listeners to hear that a lot of times we feel trauma in the body. And so a lot of times with, with what, whatever traumas you've experienced, and, you know, if you live on this earth, you've experienced trauma. We've all experienced trauma. So as a result of that, I would encourage listeners to just kind of listen to their body and find ways. And I talk about this in the book, find ways to soothe your body, to calm yourself down. Because a lot of times the central nervous system is just so overactive with individuals, at least for me, it was really, really overactive where I couldn't sit still and just relax. And I'm learning to do that. It's it's a process. So what I would say is just that it takes a lot of time. Addiction work takes a lot of time and also trauma work and they go hand in hand. It's really good wisdom. And thank you for sharing your story. That was, that was very moving. And I think there are there are a lot of connections from based on the research that I've seen to people that are struggling with pornography addictions, you know, from traumas that they experienced in their childhood. You know, our family of origin stories impact a lot of the decisions that we make. And I think I think there's going to be a lot of our listeners that can relate in that way. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, in your work, you know, when a husband and wife are looking to find that healing as they're going through this journey. How does trauma really impact the the female, the spouse, perhaps, in these situations? Sometimes trauma can be experienced with the male as well. I mean, trauma can be equally shared. But how do you help people work through that trauma? Yeah, I think that whenever someone is traumatized, they and I talk about this also in the book, they become dysregulated emotionally. So they either go real hyper or they go down hypo. You know, so if they're really anxious and running around and can't slow down, that would be examples of hyper. Hypo would be sitting and watching your phone and just scrolling with your phone or watching TV and just zoning out, which we're all guilty of at times. So I think it's the idea. Again, I go, I go back to Karen, that idea of getting in touch with the body and what the body is feeling and, and being able. One of the things that I needed to do is I needed to identify triggers in my life. You know, I'll give you a real quick one. When I, I, I didn't even realize this growing up or when I first was married, um, the garage door would go up at our house, okay, which meant my dad was home. And that would just cause me to get really anxious and panic. And I would feel that in my body. My heart would start pounding. Well, fast forward, I get married and Debbie and I are married. And, you know, we're living in our first home and the garage door goes up. She's home from work and my heart begins to pound. I had no idea why. You know, so it's, 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 it's the idea of being able to realize when you're having reactions like that, there's a reason for it. You know, a lot of times we feel like we're crazy, you know, and to kind of piece that together with, okay, this happened in the past and now this is happening today and I'm triggered. So when we think about addressing the trauma or addressing the addiction that somebody is struggling with. I really like the title of your book in thinking about how to process through that, finding my words, because I think it could be very difficult 
at times. So let's say a person is struggling with pornography. I mean, I'll even use myself in my own story. Mm. I had so much shame and guilt and just a low impression of myself that I found it very difficult to talk about. And then, of course, my wife, when she went through the betrayal trauma of finding out about the pornography and having to work through that, it was difficult for her to talk about because she had stuffed it so deep that when it finally came to a boiling point, um, it just kind of exploded. And, and that's when we ended up at a counselor, even though we should have ended up there sooner. So my question is, how do people find those words? How do they reach within and be able to find those words to talk about these things so they don't stay cooped up and cause bigger problems down the road? Yeah, Brandon, that's an awesome question. I would say for me, I can I can talk about my own story, that what I needed is I needed somebody to come alongside me and to help me with that story, you know, to help me to formulate the words. You know, Harry Flanagan at Pure Desire, he had me write it down first, and then he had me talk about it as I was ready. You know, he didn't re-traumatize me by forcing me to talk about things that I wasn't ready to talk about. You know, he allowed me to talk about the things over and over and over again. You know, sometimes we think about one and done, especially in our society. It's like, okay, we get it done once and that's it. No, it takes time. It takes a lot of time to process. It's not something that is uh, a procedure. It's a process. And it takes a long time. And that's what I want people to hear. You know, we're, we're in it for the long race, not, not this short race. You know, I, I love the verse in Philippians chapter one and verse six. Be confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you, he will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, so we're there for the long haul. And, you know, when I first went into rehab, you know, they talked about different, um, time frames. You know, I figured, and I talk about this in the book, I figured I'd go for 28 days, be out, everything would be fine. That's not, that's not realistic. And I, and I learned that quickly. You know, it took me years to be able to process a lot of the things that I went through and to realize what the triggers were, you know, and so for the audience, I would just ask them to realize it took a long time to get where you're at. It took a lot of months or a lot of years. And so it's going to take time for healing. It's it, it's not quick. It's not a quick process. That's a really good reminder. I think we also have a lot of pastors and ministry leaders that tend to listen to this podcast. Um, and as we're thinking about the church, there's there are a ton of walking wounded in our churches. Is there any advice or wisdom that you can share with ministry leaders, how they can better serve and help people in the church that may not even be ready to address this, but is there things that they could do to make the, the church safer where a place where they can seek out help and start that process? Yeah, Karen, I, I, I have the advantage. I was trained as a pastor first, so I really have a pastor's heart. And I, and I, and I realized that, you know, with the training that I received, I only had a couple of classes in counseling. So I really, really feel for pastors. And, and I would say that, Pastors need to realize their limitations and also congregations need to, to realize the uh, limitations of the pastor, you know, and, and for the pastor to realize that it's fine to refer people out. It's fine to find people and find expertise in a certain area and send, you know, members or people in your, in your church to that particular counselor or whatever specialist that is. Do you find that they do try to? So you're saying it's fine that you don't that they don't have all the answers and that they 
outsource basically to to get help. Do you find that they do try to take on too much and and that actually ends up hurting them and in their ministry? Yeah, I I think that that's just part of uh, our society that we want answers for things. And sometimes there's not an easy answer. And I think that sometimes, unfortunately, uh, pastors are looked at as having all the answers and they're human beings. They're individuals like you and I, they have strengths and they have weaknesses. So how can you help those pastors and ministry leaders heal from that? Because I'm guessing it can be taxing and lead to a level of burnout in seeing so many people struggling and you're trying to put it all on your shoulder as a pastor or ministry leader and you just can't do it. You start to crumble. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, pastors aren't always good at this, but pacing themselves, I'm not always good at it, pacing myself. So uh, I, I would be quick to say that. I would say also, you know, for pastors and for congregations to really encourage education for their pastors so that pastors can learn about, you know, uh, different different areas of emotional growth so that they can help their congregants with that and also know the limitations where where they're, you know, it's over their head that, that they haven't been trained with it and it's fine for them to not feel shame, not feel guilt, but to refer people out. I, I think for congregations to encourage pastors to, you know, spend time in training in this area would be really fantastic. That's good advice and great wisdom, I think, for many of our pastors and leaders listening out there. So with your book, you know, I'd love to dive into that a little bit further. What is what would be the the takeaway from the book as read as our listeners go out and purchase the book and read the book? What is it the book is hoping to accomplish in their hearts and to help them start to understand? What was your your mission behind the book? Well, Karen, the the book is about somebody who was really, really broken, who fell, and who got back up. It's about somebody who struggled with addictions most of his life and doesn't struggle as much now. You know, I struggle, I, I struggle with triggers, but not with active addiction, either with processes or with substances. You know, so the first part of the book is finding my words because I didn't have the words. The second part of the book is speaking my words, being able to share stories like the carrot story, you know, with with a, a certain amount of ease anyway. And then the last part of the book is just how my life has changed. It's embracing my words, you know, because our story is so important. I think story work is so important. I think that, you know, Harry Flanagan at Pure Desire, again, has encouraged me to be grateful for my story. It's a messy story. It's a messy childhood. You know, I talk about robberies. I talk about shotguns leaning up against the walls, you know, that my mom and dad protected the house with. I talked about a second robbery attempt. Talk about all of these different things. But really, you know, the bottom bottom line is that, you know, I've come to really hold dearly the fact that God loves me with an everlasting love. It's not an academic thing anymore. But it is like real that I walk with him every day. I limp a lot of days, but it's okay to limp and it's okay to struggle because he's my savior. You know, there's a verse that I picked for this year and I'd like to share it. It's in Jeremiah 17, 14, you know, and, and in that he writes, heal me and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved or you are my praise, or you are the one that I praise. 
you know, I, this, this story is, is a difficult story. And I would encourage people to be careful in reading it because it can be very triggering. But it's also a wonderful story about how God steps in to a person's mess and restores. You know, I had the, I had the, um, privilege of having Josh McDowell be involved with the, with the book and with the foreword, you know, and, and in some ways he talks about his, his, uh, family of origin being similar to mine. You know, but the one commonality for both of us that's definitely true is that our trauma led us to the living God. And it left us, uh, it led us to salvation in Jesus Christ. I think that's a really important point you bring up because at least I know in my own story, I tried to place the healing job and the fixing job on my shoulders and I continually fell down over and over and over again and uh, so maybe you can speak to this aspect of it but so often we don't put our weakness in its proper place and that it's okay to be weak because that is what's going to lead us to God who is the one who can bear all those burdens and lead us to that healing and that forgiveness and that renewal or whatever it is he wants to do in our lives. That's, that's such a good, good point, Brandon. I think that the other thing uh, to, to go on uh, Karen's question and kind of bring them two together, the two things together is the idea that, you know, in the book, I wanted to be vulnerable, you know, and even in the recovery chapter, I talk about struggling with depression I talk about struggling with anxiety. I talk about flashbacks. You know, I talk about the fact that when, when I am weak, scripture makes it clear that when I'm weak, he, he becomes strong in my life. You know, and, and those, uh, pains, you know, I, I struggle every day with certain reminders of the trauma that I've experienced. And, you know, those reminders lead me back to him. That's great. So as we come to a close today, Dr. Mark, what final thoughts would you leave with our listeners that they can take with them, especially if they're struggling on this journey? Yeah, I, I would say that trauma doesn't own your story and addiction doesn't own your story and it's been paid for and to keep walking ahead. You know, the, the road can be discouraging at times, but we have a comforter that walks with us. So true. Amen. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you, Dr. Mark, for joining us today. This was, this was a really important uh, conversation. I know there are a lot of our listeners out there that are certainly struggling with trauma. And uh, I think this will really help them to know that there, there is a book that has a story and it's a story of someone that has overcome through the power of Christ. And there is redemption and healing and there is hope and it is a journey I think oftentimes we forget that, that this is a long journey that we're on and it's not going to be easy, but my goodness, it's worth it in the end. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, everybody, we just want to thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the podcast. We will put a link to Dr. Mark's book in the show notes, so you can be sure to check that out. I know Karen and I are going to get that book and read through it. Because it's so important. You know, we, we, we see a lot of this at Covenant Eyes, right? People who share their testimonies and the power of testimony, like Dr. Mark was talking about. And so I just want you to read through that book, get the book, obviously with caution, like Dr. Mark said, but then consider how God is calling you to share your story. 
Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's at church. However, the Lord might be calling you. Don't be afraid to step out into the deep and share your story because you never know who needs to hear that, who needs to begin their own healing journey and how that could be triggered with you sharing. So just to encourage you guys to check out that book. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And we'll see you again next week on the Covenant Eyes podcast. God bless.